0: I want us to focus today on the new covenant. Notice what we're told here uh, as he says to us in verse 6, 2 Corinthians 3, 6. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. We'll look later uh, on, not today probably... Not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. And then turn over one more page. Matthew chapter 1. And you see something here that I think should better be rendered, not testament, but covenant not testament, but covenant, and that is the New Testament. Now, I want to talk about these words for a minute, the New Testament, and back in Genesis, the Old Testament. Let's talk about something as we turn to Luke chapter 22 that illustrates a basic principle about covenants and testaments. Luke chapter 22, that's page 1637. And look at verse 5. Luke 22, verse 5, page 1635. They were uh, delighted and agreed to give him money. They were delighted and agreed to give him one, uh, money. This is about Judas. Judas is going to betray Jesus. Why? Because he was a crook, he was one of the inner. Disciples of Jesus. In fact, he was the one most trusted of the twelve. That's who you hand the money over to. He kept the purse. But Judas believed in tipping himself. And Judas would help himself out from time to time. Taking money that was given to help out in the ministry of Christ. And that was given to help the poor. So Judas was a greedy, wicked man, but he was able to fool everybody. And so he determined to go and to betray Christ. If you look back at verse 3 of Luke 22, Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he may, might betray Jesus. Verse 5, They were delighted and agreed to give him money. Now the Greek word that is there is the word that normally we think of as the word covenant. They entered into a covenant with him, literally. And that particular Greek word is, a, is the verbal form of the word suntheke. Suntheke is the Greek word for a covenant. There was another Greek word, and that's the word for a will, and in the sense of a last will and testament. And that's diatheke. And if you look down at verse 29, the verb that is used there, the verbal form of diatheke, is in verse 29. Where he says, and I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred one on me. Let me talk about these two words for a moment because they're very important. And your eternal destiny depends on your understanding this. Are you serious? I'm very serious. Your eternal destiny depends on your understanding it. When the Jewish rabbis who lived a couple of hundred years before Jesus determined to put the Bible in the language of the people, the language of the people was Greek, they came to the Hebrew word berit, berit. And that's the word that throughout the Old Testament is translated covenant. Covenant. And so they came and said, how are we going to translate this Hebrew word berit, covenant, into Greek? And they had two choices. They could go with the Judas-type deal, or they could go with the Jesus-type deal. And they went with the Jesus-type deal. Because if you look there in verse 5, they were delighted and covenanted to give him money. What's involved in, in that Greek word, sumtheke, in its verbal form? It's haggling. It's going back and forth. I'll give you $1,000 for that car. Oh, no. I need at least 3000 This car was only driven back and forth to school and to church by a woman who never went anywhere, although it was used in, in uh, I think the Kemp brothers probably used it in drag racing. Did you know that about William? That's how he got into the auto repair business, William Kemp. He and his brothers used to drag race. So anyhow, I'll give you $1,000 for that. Oh no, it's worth 3000 Even though William had been drag racing with that car. So it's haggling back and forth. It's negotiating. It's this and that. That's they came. Well, the rabbi said, there's no way that we can translate our Hebrew word berit, covenant, with that word because that implies something like this. Well, Lord, I, if, if you will be my God and provide for me this, 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 and this, then you'll be my God. That's the kind of thing that Jacob did. Jacob, who did not know the Lord at that time, is haggling with God. If you'll go do this for me and do this for me and do this for me, then I I, I will trust you as my God. And that's not the way it is. The way it is is what's expressed in the other Greek word, which is used down there at the bottom of the page, 1637. 1637. And I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred one on me. That's diatheke. The only trouble with diatheke is that it refers to something that is a last will and testament. A last will and testament. And so, how does that go? Well, it involves the death of somebody, this kind of covenant does. And uh, it's sovereignly imposed. My wife and I have incontestable wills. We have a lawyer friend who said, I've never had anyone dispute one of my wills. And she wrote up our wills for us for free. Professional courtesy. And you know why? Our will will never be contested. (laughs) Our five children share and share alike. And if any one of them contests the will, that child is automatically disinherited. It can't be challenged. It's sovereignly imposed. And the word berit... Implies that sovereign disposition. It's a one-way street. God is the one who determines the terms of His covenant. And there's no challenge to it. There's no negotiation to it. There's no, well, I like this part, but I don't like this, so therefore this, therefore. No, 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 no. It's just like a last will and testament. It can't be contested. You accept it all or you accept none of it. That's diatheke. Now, it's interesting as you look at verse 29, Jesus said, I covenant to you a kingdom just as my father covenanted with me. That's important. Now, what I want to say to you this morning is that no one in the old covenant, and that's really what we should have there in the front of Genesis, is the old covenant just as we should have in front of Matthew, the new covenant. No one in the old covenant was saved on the basis of the old covenant. Let me say that again. No one living under the old covenant was saved on the basis of the old covenant. How could that be? How were they saved? Turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. This is how people were saved. Under the old covenant. They were saved on the basis of the new covenant. Let's see how that is expressed in Genesis 15. Page 21. Genesis chapter 15. God Made a covenant. Look at verse 18. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. And that particular Greek word translated by the Jewish rabbis is the verbal form of the word diatheke. He made a covenant. Notice in this covenant that God made with Abraham, it's sovereignly imposed. He didn't say to Abraham, well, now, okay, Abraham, what do you want? And Abraham said, well, I want this. And God said, well, no, it's not that. It's not a suntheke. It's not a negotiation. It is a sovereignly imposed thing decided by one party only and imposed on the other. Now, if you look at verse 8. Genesis 15.8, this is one of my favorite passages in the Old Covenant because it's all about the New Covenant. Let me say it again. This is one of my favorite passages in the Old Covenant because it's all about the New Covenant. And we see here in verse 8, Genesis 15.8, Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know I shall possess it? And God tells him to do something. It's a really weird ceremony. And I've preached on this before. He says, the Lord says to him in verse 9, Bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And he brings them to the Lord, and the Lord tells him to split them in half. So he splits them in half. Now, this is an interesting thing. And if you're taking notes, and I always encourage people to take notes, because if your mind is no better than mine, you can't remember I didn't remember our applauding Joe and Norma Jean right here this morning because I was thinking about something else as they celebrate their 75th anniversary, wedding anniversary. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. What we have here is a ceremony that was common in the ancient Near East. When people swore to each other an oath that was really strong, they would divide animals And then they would each walk between those animals. In effect, they would be saying, May this be done to me if I fail to carry out my obligation in this covenant. If you're taking notes, you might want to read this afternoon Jeremiah chapter 34, verses 18 and 19. Because it describes this this very ritual. Now here's what's interesting. A deep sleep falls on Abraham... And while he's deeply asleep, something happens. What happens is, as we look down in verse 12, As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Look at those words. Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. They will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish that nation they serve as slaves. And after they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried in a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Verse 17. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. What is that? That's God. You see, that's a symbol for the Lord Himself, for His very presence. I want you to understand that God walks down between the slaughtered animals there's blood everywhere blood everywhere and the lord walks between these slaughtered animals he walks between these slaughtered animals in the appearance of a smoking firepot A burning torch. But it's the Lord Himself who passes between the pieces. And this is how He enters into a covenant. He cuts, literally cuts a covenant. That's the verb that's normally used with the Hebrew word berit. He cuts a covenant. Why do you cut a covenant? Because in the old covenant, it always involves cutting. Cutting. So he cuts a covenant with Abram that day. And he's saying to him, this is how you can know absolutely that what I've told you is going to happen is going to happen. And God himself, God Almighty passes between the slaughtered animal and he says, in effect, if this doesn't happen for you and your descendants, may I be damned. That's exactly what He's doing. God is calling down a curse on Himself as He passes between the slaughtered animals. As He passes between those animals with all that shed blood. May this be done to me. May I be slaughtered. May my blood be shed. May the curses of a failure to keep a covenant come down on my head. Now I want you to see something. As we fast forward in time... From roughly 2,000 years before Christ until the time of Christ. That's when this is fulfilled. God Almighty Himself takes on Himself the obligation that you and I will be saved, that He will be the God of us and of our children after us. He says, I'll do it, and God did it. In other words, As we read the Old Covenant, we understand that people are saved on the basis of the New Covenant. Because in the New Covenant, God condemns Himself to a bloody slaughter on the cross. It's on the cross of Christ that Genesis 15 is fulfilled. That's my only hope. It's the blood of Jesus. It's God Almighty ascending a cross and allowing the curses, the damnation that I deserve and that you deserve to come crashing down on His head and splitting Him in effect apart on the cross. Jesus dies for our sins. And so what I'm saying is that the Old Covenant contains within it the New Covenant. And the only way people in the Old Covenant could be saved was by looking forward to the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is so clearly revealed in Genesis 15. But someone will say, well, if that's true, if the New Covenant is revealed so clearly as already being effective potentially in the Old Testament, how are there any Jewish synagogues you want the answer to that? Turn back to Second uh, Corinthians chapter three. Second Corinthians t- chapter three, and this is what we see. We're told here that whenever Moses is read, this is page seventeen ninety-seven. Verse 12, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 12. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we're very bold. We're not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it uh, while uh, the radiance was fading away. Now look at verse 14. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. I want to tell you something. There is no way that anyone can read Genesis 15 and not understand that the only way to have sins forgiven is by the blood of God Himself. And yet Moses is read on Friday nights and Saturdays, In synagogues throughout the world. But what's going on in the synagogue? What we're what's there is this. He says that same veil remains when the old covenant is read. In other words, unless a Jewish person has been born again sovereignly by the Holy Spirit, that person reading the old covenant, reading Genesis 15, there's a veil. I don't see anything here. What is it? There's a cartoon of blind people describing an elephant. Someone grabs his tail and said, this must be a rope. Somebody else uh, got, holds his trunk and said, this must be a really huge trunk. Grabs his ears, grabs this. Grab, they don't know what they're seeing. I want you to understand something. Though Jewish people... Some Jewish people actually study the Bible. Most Jewish people only read the Bible through the rabbis, through the oral tradition passed down. I want to tell you that they cannot see Christ. But anyone who is not blind sees Christ in the old covenant. Because the way of salvation, Genesis 15, is the new covenant which is there laid out clearly they can't see it. What do you do with a Jewish friend? You love them. You pray for them. You ask God for opportunities to share your faith in Christ with them. Because I'm going to tell you, Jewish people like other children of Abraham through Ishmael and others, Jewish people are on the way to hell. You need to remember that, never forget it. It's not being physically a child of Abraham I was reading in Genesis today in in Hebrew, all these descendants of Ishmael and the entire Middle East almost are descendants of Abraham in one form or another. It's not by being descended from Abraham, it's by knowing the seed of Abraham who is Christ. It's by knowing Him, and it's only... Notice what we're told here. Even verse 15. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. Verse 16. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Pray for your Jewish and Muslim friends and neighbors. Pray for them, because they have a veil over their eyes. The children of Abraham through Ishmael and Keturah and others have a veil over their eyes. There are many lovely Muslim people, many kind Muslim people. I've been a guest in the home of Muslims, and they've been guests in my home, and Jewish people in my home, and a guest in their home. Lovely people. They're just like unsaved Methodists, and unsaved Baptists, and unsaved Presbyterians. Nice people, good neighbors, great people, be kind to you, help you out in your hour of need. But they're not saved. They're not saved. And they can't understand the Old Testament. They cannot understand the Old Testament. A technical knowledge of some Hebrew terms does not open up the Bible. A knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ through the power and work of the Holy Spirit is what opens up the scriptures. So he says here, even to this day, verse 15, When Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Do you know there are probably more saved children of Abraham in the world today than at any time in history? What's going on? God is saving the children of Abraham who are Muslim in unprecedented numbers today. And today we have an opportunity. Do you know you will be executed if you were in Saudi Arabia and try to start a church? There are no churches in Saudi Arabia. It is militantly anti christian It's far more anti-Christian than Iran, where Christianity and Judaism have been tolerated. Killed, executed. But you know, today, you have the opportunity to befriend Muslims. How do you win a Muslim to Christ? The same way you win a Jewish person to Christ. You let your light shine before them in such a way that as you pray for them and you beg God to open their hearts, as you beg God to remove that veil from their hearts, God will do it. Let me tell you of all the miracles that God still does today, the opening of a human heart to the Lord Jesus Christ is the greatest miracle God ever does. And he says here, now the Lord is the Spirit, verse 17. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Have you ever realized what bondage it is to be an Orthodox Jew? Wow. Sandy and I had as a house guest one time, a man who was a Lubavitcher Orthodox Jew. You see, in Judaism, there's a spectrum from the Reform Jews, which you can be a virtual atheist and be a Reform Jew, all the way over to the Orthodox Jews and then the Orthodox of the Orthodox, the Hasidic Jews. And then within Hasidic Judaism, you have real extreme groups like the Lubavitchers. This man was a guest in Sandy's in my home. Do you know the bondage of what it's like to be an Orthodox Jew? I worked at a Jewish hotel and across the street was a great synagogue designed by Frank Lloyd Wright. And the lady who worked with me was a Jewish lady. And she told me about her father who was an Orthodox Jew. It was on a Saturday morning. And he was getting money out to put in the collection on the Sabbath. And he, it slipped out of his hand. And he put his foot on top of the money. Her name was Ada. He put his foot on top of the money. And he waited until the sundown Saturday night. The poor man stood there because of his bondage to the law of Moses. What bondage? He wouldn't move. Wow, what if it had been freezing cold? I don't know. But he was determined to do right by Moses. He kept his foot on that money until the sun went down on the Jewish Sabbath. Or think of the poor Muslims. You know, the Muslim calendar is not like ours. It's a strictly lunar calendar. And so every Muslim year is shorter than our years. And Muslim calendars date until the time that Islam became a political power. That's the date of the Muslim calendars. And every one of our years will eventually have more Muslim years in it. And that means that Ramadan occurs at a different time of the year, every year in the Muslim calendar. What happened when Muslims began to leave Saudi Arabia? What happened when they were in areas in the north country or the south country? And it happened that the day was really long because the fast is from sunup to sundown. What do you do when the sun really doesn't go down? You cannot eat or drink. And what happens if you don't eat or drink? After a few days, you die. What bondage these children of Abraham live in, whether they're Muslim or whether they're Orthodox Jews. And what we're told here, where the, Lord, where the Spirit of the Lord is... There is freedom. Do you appreciate your freedom in Christ? Wow. What freedom is yours in Christ? We are free from the old covenant laws. We're free from the condemnation of the law. Now, the New Testament is the Old Testament in a transformed way. But you're free. Have you thought about it? Rules and regulations. Can you have a cheeseburger today? Not in Israel. Not in Israel. When I was in Israel in 2000, we could have cheese with with one meal and we'd have meat at another meal. We could never mix the two. Why? Because the rabbis took the law of Moses and they added to it. And by the traditions of the elders, having a cheeseburger is absolutely forbidden. And if you really carry it out, you can't mix the dishes. So in your, in your, in your cupboard, you have one set of dishes for meat and another set of dishes for cheese. Because you shall not boil uh, a kid in his mother's milk. See how they add to the law? And of course, Muhammad added to the law as well. Muhammad's favorite book, Joshua Conquest. Wow. The entire Middle East has a problem. And the problem in the Middle East is the children of Abraham hate each other. And fight each other. And want to wipe each other out. And want to get each other off each other's land. Because they think the city of Jerusalem is something special. The city of Jerusalem that's special is up there. And that's where my citizenship is. And I pray that's where yours is. So pray for your Jewish neighbors. Pray for your Muslim neighbors. Pray that God will open a door for you to share the only way of salvation, the only way to go to heaven, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And to be able eventually to share and say, you know, I'm saved on the basis of the Torah, the law of Moses, because in Genesis 15, God Almighty promised that He would save me At its own expense. By calling down the hell I deserve. By calling down the damnation I deserve. On himself. As he passes between the slaughtered animals. Do you know the Lord Jesus? Wow. So many people are just moralistic deists. Good people. Believing in a God who doesn't act anymore. But I want to tell you. My God. Is the God who still lacks in history because my God passed through the slaughtered animals and said, May I be damned if they're not saved. Wow. That's why Jesus said on the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because the Lord Jesus was forsaken of the Father as he hung on the cross for your salvation as over against your damnation, for your blessing as over against your curse, for your redemption as over against your utter exclusion from the commonwealth of Israel. We have a story to tell to the nations. May we pray. Lord, would you bless this message as we think about the fact that we are new covenant believers saved on the basis of the new covenant that is embedded in the Old Covenant. In Jesus' name, amen.